Wednesday night edition of the pod. Lots more to get to here. We got the Wendell Carter Jr. scouting report and coincidentally, the offseason preview of a team that is selecting right in the range where Carter is selected to go, the Chicago Bulls. Why don't we change it up this time? Let's go with the Bulls first, uh, just to keep things interesting starting with of course their salary cap situation as we head into this offseason so the bulls have like kind of if you want to think about it as max space they have about 26 million that would keep the holds for zach levine and david nawaba both of whom they could very well retain that would they would lose sean kilpatrick and paul zipser both of whom are non-guaranteed at this point so if they keep those guys then it goes down to about 23 but you know it's a pretty good idea of, of where they are and that should also be considered against the backdrop. We talked about this a little bit with the Kings on yesterday's show, that Chicago could have an absolute ton of cap space in 2019 without counting Levine at all, which I expect that we will eventually, they could have as much as 70 million in space in 2019. So again, that might be just so much money where they can just feel like they can spend into that a fair amount. But what's different between Chicago and Sacramento is that not only do the Bulls, you know, they roll that cap space on like a trading for a multi-year guy, but Levine goes on top of that because the expectation is that he will get paid more than his cap hold, which is 9.6 million. Yeah, of course, they have the seventh overall pick, also the 22nd overall pick, which they got in the Omer Ashik Nikola Miritich trade. Um, it's been largely assumed, especially once that Ashik trade was made. You'll remember they took on the bad money for him. Uh, he's due $11.3 million this year and then has a $3 million guarantee for next year. And the thought was, well, all right, they just reduced their 2018 cap space by $11.3 million. This clearly shows that they're not really that interested in getting into the restricted free agent game or the free agent game. There have been some rumblings. I think, it was, correct me if I'm wrong, Woj remarked at one point that maybe the Bulls could be a sneaky free agency contender. And you definitely don't just totally sit it out in terms of free agency or limit yourself to one-year deals. I think their strategy should be you know, they're not ready to contend next year, even for the playoffs, almost certainly no matter who they get. So with that being the case, you just try to see if you can get someone on a good value contract. I mean, this is this offseason is an opportunity for the teams who do have cap space and maybe see if going forward you, you can get someone who's on, on a good value deal or you again go the take on bad contracts route. We talked about that dilemma some with the Kings, although the Bulls don't have quite as many young players i think with actual potential as the kings do maybe you could say that their core guys have more but it's a uh, and chicago probably considered more of a free agent destination than sacramento overall as well but yeah i think it'd be really interesting of whether they decide to go the cap space route whether they decide to go the restricted free agent route or whether they decide to go the take on bad contracts and a lot of that will depend on the offers that are out there and a lot of that will depend on whether there will chicago is willing to take on 2019 money just because i feel like for the sake of completeness we should mention it theoretically thanks to the structure of his contract the bulls could actually stretch omar Oshik's remaining 14 million over five years if they really needed to clear that extra eight million or so in space i don't expect that to happen but if theoretically the circumstance presented itself and the right offer was there they could do that and spread that 14 over five so more likely though it'll be just that three million partial guarantee for next year and they can either eat that or stretch it depending on how much space they need and something that i wanted to talk about with chicago we did this a little bit with sacramento but it's a worthwhile exercise for these type of teams is the bulls weren't good this year 
you know, I, I think it's going to take them a little while to build this up. So then you can kind of think about their roster in terms of what players that they have already are like likely starters, likely rotation players. And to just to run through the players they have on rookie scale contracts right now, Larry Marketing, last year's lottery yeah, pick. So ch- as Chris you run Dunn. through, we can just check them off. So, sure, so Marketing certainly showed enough to me to be considered a, a starter of the future uh, at a minimum. Yeah, I would say so as well. Out of as the four, right. I I don't think he has enough defense to be the five, but certainly value. Chris Dunn certainly better this past year than I expected, but I see him more as a you know like a high a high rotation player, but not a starter personally. Yeah, I mean, worth remembering that for all the improvement he showed, still below a fifty percent true shooting, and and he's this next year he's going to be twenty five already because remember how old he was when he was drafted. And if you're interested in this, by the way, we did of course a couple of months ago as the season season was wrapping up, kind of reviews of the seasons for all these young players. So if you want a, a little bit more background on why it is where we're talking about the king to the bulls or any any other team you know right towards the end of the regular season we discuss these player seasons and why it is that we believe they're part of the future or not necessarily uh so yeah i, I mean to done and you know there are point guards colin sexton trey young who could be available in their range at seven and i certainly i'm not so impressed by dunn that if I felt like one of those point guards was the guy, that I wouldn't select that guy instead. Next up's probably Bobby Portis has one more year before restricted free agency. I think he can be a rotation player. Defense is a big concern, but he can put the ball in the bucket. So I get for him, it would be if you can get him back at a reasonable price, sure, you could play him, but I wouldn't be obsessed with that idea. Yeah, and since we drafted 22nd, we'll have a low cap hold next year, Is plays the same position as Lowry Markinen. Seems unlikely that they would agree on an extension with him that's usually something we talk about on these unless it were really just a a pretty team-friendly one which you know i kind of doubt especially portis with the way that he shot the ball and scored you know he he might believe that he's a future starter i don't know that the team should see him that way um zach levine i still think he's more of a backup than a starter personally i think that's the the better the better niche for him especially considering levine sucks at defense and offensively he's never been efficient and sure there's some weight on all of his stuff from those early years where he was really out of out of place in minnesota but he wasn't and last year he was dealing with an injury so i think you could discount a fair portion of that but I just don't see it with him all the way. I think he will get paid like a low end starter, if not stronger than that. But yeah, I mean, there's talk that I don't that see he could that be the number two restricted free agent on the market. I forget who it was who was floating that idea that you know he could potentially. Oh my god, get a max offer, and that seems completely insane to me. As we've talked about, you know, if I had to pay him 15 million a year for the next four years, I might swallow hard and do it just on the hope that all right, he's just going to be that good of a score but especially coming off the knee injury then the fact that he got shut down again granted they were tanking but granted granted <laughs> that they were double granted there that that he probably would have helped the tank the way he was playing at the time but he had some tendonitis and that surgically repaired knee and oh it's nothing serious but eh, you know never the greatest sign there i would not pay him 15 million if that if that's on the table if it were if it were solely my decision i'd love yeah him but but how do you think the but i think the bulls would yeah. match Absolutely I mean, let's remember now the fact that Markinen looks as good as he has maybe makes it a little bit more palatable politically if, you know, Dunn and Levine don't end up being like these cornerstone pieces. Uh, but I mean, what do you think the Bulls would be willing to pay? 17, 18. 
and I think I, that would be. I could see it even getting but, as high as twenty. To be honest, I think I think oh it could settle. And then, and, oh, so so I want you often ask me this question, but I think this is a good one to ask you. What offer would you make Zach Levine right now to make it so that he doesn't go through restricted free agency? Well, would I make? I mean, it's just this is one of those times where our opinion, all, like in terms of of it's actually so just trying to predict what's going to happen. And for Jabari Parker, your opinion is different than mine. You know, I I think I see him. Another guy who's a similar kind of player to Levine in terms of his ability to create shots, injury history, absolutely zero defense whatsoever, except for the third quarter of game four against the Celtics. But it's almost just for what my approach would be. It's just like, it's not even an interesting question. I mean, for me, I would probably offer him like 12 million or something, you know, just the, the idea of, hey, you know, even if he just ends up being like a great bench scorer for us, you know, which is kind of what I foresee his destiny as being that because he's so bad defensively. And then, you know, maybe he has some upside to become good enough to be a starting shooting guard because he's just so explosive as a scorer, you know, but I'm definitely to me, especially after the injury history, like you got to give yourself some good upside on top of that contract, which I think at 12 million he would have. But that's, again, that's just not realistic. Like, I, I think what will their starting offer be? You know, I think their starting offer would be $17 million a year. And I think it's going to settle at 19 and a half for 20 I think that's where it's going to end up. I think that's going to be insane. I think we're going to give them a bad grade for their offseason in part because of that. Well, we'll see what else they do, obviously. But that is that is what I foresee happening. Uh, I And then that obviously is going to cut into that 2019, or sorry, yeah, 2019 summer space as well in theory. But... Yeah, I'm just a, we didn't know whether he's a winning player or not. And then he suffered the injury too. I mean, that's the combination of those two things. Uh, and I'm not as much of a believer in his upside as a score as I am with someone like Parker, just because of Parker's superior size, uh, superior passing to me, um, superior skill level, although Levine is a good shooter. He's not like the greatest skill level outside of that. We can go briefly through their other young guys. Vonley, restricted free agent. I, I don't see him as a part of the key part of their future if he got you know well, maybe it was well and, and vonley is interesting here because his cap hold is so big right at, at 10.5 mm-hmm. million and his qualifying offer is only four i think if i'm him probably you know it, it remains to be seen i mean he, he has some skills i think he can help some teams defensively as a switch guy as kind of a change of pace backup center playing him at power forward it doesn't really work he's just that shooting has never really developed but as a rebounder as a switch guy defensively and then maybe you know his stretch ability starts to look a little bit better he's really can't do much offensively other than in theory shoot it at some point but giving him that qualifying offer makes it tough because now he's taking up 10.5 million of your cap space and so whether you want to take on a bad contract whether you want to make some other moves make a restricted free agency offer whatever it is you probably end up having to renounce him at that point so he's a guy who i think might be pretty gettable and it wouldn't even shock me if they don't give him a qualifying offer they might well just i mean because they still have cristiano felicio obviously who I'm, I'm they better hope can bounce back given his contract they've got robin lopez They've got Markin and Portis. Like they have a lot of bigs on this team already under contract. And so I don't know that it would make sense for these guys to pay even a one year four million dollar contract to Vonley. And Vonley could say, hey, you know what, my market isn't there. Four million, sure, sign me up. So it wouldn't I think probably greater than fifty percent chance he doesn't get the qualifying offer, if only because of that large cap hold, in addition to the thought that, oh, he might be able to take it. And remember, uh, you can still withdraw the qualifying offer 
up until i forget exactly when it is now. i think it's july 23rd now under the cba that you can withdraw it after that you can't call that the Dion waiters rule so we didn't need to spend that much time on it but i think that's an interesting one i could very easily see him becoming an unrestricted free agent maybe not right at the beginning but later on in the process and you talked about qualifying offers i think that's a good way of going into david nwaba so nwaba had a you know had a solid year i i he exceeded my expectations but because they claimed him off waivers and have him now as a restrictive agent his cap hold is only you know 1.7 million so it's a lot more palatable to keep nuab around maybe if another team makes a strong offer for some reason you let him go but i think they can expect to bring him back and they have early bird rights so it's not a big deal they can just kind of keep his hold on the books and just see what happens yeah that makes perfect sense to me i think he's they also just don't have any threes on this roster other than him and he's even a little undersized for that but he at least is intense can defend Uh, a guy that that i like certainly he can't shoot at all but he has enough ball handling skills that he can kind of attack a mild closeout he gets out in transition and, and i thought that he really changed their defense a lot because they just didn't have anyone else who could guard it all on the wing and then really beyond that i don't think we need to discuss any of the other guys on this team as of this well, time the only one i want to say briefly is i don't love denzel valentine but if they do and they're keeping zach levine then maybe that affects the way they think about the two guard spot though i don't feel i don't feel like those guys preclude you from taking somebody who's talented though i don't off the top of my head i can't think of any two guards at like seven that they would take or i mean i guess the restricted market or sorry the unrestricted market actually has some interesting twos but i wouldn't expect the bulls to be in that business anyway yeah that that does seem unlikely I mean, you could see them if they it was said by john paxson that oh we never want to go through this again in terms of like alluding to how hard they tanked last year so maybe they'll at least just try to get guys on one-year deals at a minimum and could be an option for a guy who wants to just sign a big contract maybe get traded and then get back onto the market next year like that's not totally unlikely all right we got more to talk about on these guys but first this from stamps.com a service that danny you've used extensively in the last year or so i have i did not grow up using the post office a ton you know i was a little bit yeah. too young for the really people who wrote a lot of letters and all that so it, i i was obviously familiar with how it worked but i hadn't been dealing with a lot and so when i had a book physical copies that i had to get out to friends and family and everything else like that i'm like okay well let's see if there's a better way to do this than what i had been familiar with and was really impressed with stamps.com because whether you're looking at it from a convenience perspective or a cost saving perspective it really checks both those boxes you can print your postage yourself you they send you a scale so you can weigh it and get it get everything exactly right which is awesome you can schedule pickups and then from the cost savings perspective too so it's you you really get both those things and that's what you're looking for for uh basically any any company that you're engaging with and i was very impressed with stamps.com i'm thankful that i don't have as much of that to do right now but i'm really happy that they were around because they made that so much easier for me yeah with stamps.com you can buy and print official u.s postage any letter any package any class of mail all using your own computer and printer click print mail and you're done you don't have to lease a a postage meter no long-term commitments if you own a small business like we do it's a a great resource and right now you too can enjoy the stamps.com service with a special offer including a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale you know how to do it this is a dunk down ad use that cap space code on stamps.com you click on that microphone at the top of the homepage. type in that cap space code we've of course been talking about that extensively here with the bulls that's stamps.com enter code CAPSPACE, and let them know that you came from us. What else do we have to talk about with these guys? So they're in a challenging place. So we talked about where their space is. 
because of the timing of this all. So if they want to try to use their space to get somebody via trade, usually that happens in the early part of free agency. And they'll know what those offers are. And then they will materially change, for better or for worse, depending on supply and demand, by, let's say, the fir- the end of the first week. Because at that point, a lot of teams will have used their space. They're, it just depends on where things are. That is right around when they would have to make a decision about whether they want to go after any restricted free agents. Like, I could actually see them as a Jokic offer sheet destination just because he's so good that okay, let's give it four days, you know, the, the depending on how the Nuggets want to play it. Like, do, do they really want to tap the space for five days or seven days auto porter yeah, style? Yeah, well, but, the hilarity, Danny, the, the, the potential hilarity of them trying to get a restricted free agent at the same time as Zach Levine is also getting a restricted free agent offer sheet. And so the potential that they would have to match that Levine offer sheet before they could get their own restricted free agent, like if the Levine offer sheet is like, you know, 10 hours before their offer sheet comes through for example like and they wouldn't have because obviously once they match on levine his number goes up from his 9.6 million dollar cap hold up to whatever the new number is and that could potentially extinguish whatever space they needed with the restricted free agent offer sheet so they just might just like not be able to make one once levine gets an offer sheet like that that would be really funny if that happened i the odds on that are lower but it's still something that could be an issue. I hadn't even thought about that. That's completely crazy. But you're right. And then, and so with Chicago, just because they're so far from being competitive for me, I focus more on their potential targets as being younger guys. So if they don't love Chris Dunn, maybe they try to see what Dante Exum's market is. I mean, Exum is intriguing. He could, you know, potentially guard both, defend yeah. both guard positions. And so if they if they are committed to Zach Levine, then that actually makes some sense there. Though I don't really love either of those guys being the offensive generators of shots for good for other guys. Maybe they could go after Seth Curry kind of on a similar thing. But I think Curry more is if they could get him at the price of a high-end rotation guard rather than as a starter. That'd be interesting. And then I don't know why I thought about Derek Favors there, but I, I kind of like the idea of Favors and Markkanen together. I think that could kind of work. And Yeah, they're, they already have say, Robin Lopez, though. Well, the idea would be that Robin Lopez is a temporary thing. And so if you could get Derek Favors because... So one of the elements that is important to talk about with the summer is if you have cap space, there is a very real chance that you can get a better value yeah. this summer yeah. than you can. So if you can get Derek Favors at a price that you're happy with, probably for a three- or four-year deal, well then, yeah, sure, you have a little bit of overlap for this year. Maybe you could find a, tr- a taker for Robin Lopez. Probably not. But then you have him. You have that locked up. You know, if you can get him for $10 million or less, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, so that seems, that seems I'm interested in I, I would imagine that, that I think Utah so too. would be offering him more than that, although I don't know about the duration. Well, and I don't know, it, you know, let's say if the money is similar, whether he would rather play in Utah or in Chicago, if he can be... You know, whether he wants to be a four next to Rudy Gobert, whether he'd rather be a five next to Markin, I don't know. I know that Favors has often thought of himself as a four. So right. maybe they'd like that that way, but but we'll see. So yeah, I'm interested with all these teams, with the, with the Kings, with the Hawks, with the Bulls, like how they approach this part of it, because this is a year where supply might actually exceed demand in terms of non-max players. So do they game that out, but also, you know, are, are the other teams desperate enough? So I think a couple of teams are going to go one path, a couple are going to go another, and we genuinely don't know right now which one of those is better because it's going to be very context-dependent. And for Chicago, with Markin and Artie in the fold and their belief in him, seems to make the chances of an offer sheet for Chicago native Jabari Parker a little bit lower than you would have thought 
I don't really like the idea of Parker and Markinen playing together. That would be a pretty flammable defensive front court. Markinen, not really a rim protector, can move his feet and switch a little bit, and maybe you would just be switching everything at that point defensively. But uh, I'm not sure that that's the, the right option. Can, can you imagine a starting five with Markinen, Jabari Parker, and Zach Levine? Yeah, I don't like the Parker Levine fit very much. <laughs> that's that's for sure uh but i mean you know that could end up being a pretty good offensive team if everyone develops but yeah i mean they would just be so flammable aaron gordon same kind of issues i mean the the fact that the restricted free agents that are the sexiest and youngest play the same position as marketing makes it a little difficult we've seen that aaron gordon really playing him at the three although even if you have the shooting of marketing at the four probably not the greatest idea still so it doesn't seem like they really would be at the top of the restricted free agent market and you mentioned exum as a possibility i think that that too but maybe now is the time to discuss what they should do in the draft you know we haven't watched all these guys yet we're going to do wendell carter in just a bit here but i mean they're being right now on draft express they're being mocked as selecting trey young at number seven and michael porter who has been working out in chicago interestingly porter was examined by the bulls doctors and then those are going to be shared with all the other teams mark barlstein porter's agent has long been thick as thieves with the bulls as well as another uh, many other organizations as well barlstein does a great job but if they're in a situation where they could choose between trey young and michael porter at number seven in some ways because young is considered risky porter is obviously considered risky with the injury history but I like those guys probably more, at least in terms of upside, than some of the guys above them. But it's kind of like once you're at seven, you've got a little bit more of a blank check in terms of, all right, we can take a risk here as opposed to teams that are drafting higher. So I actually kind of like their position. And it's looking like pretty likely that at least one of those two guys, Carter and Young, will be available. And I think I'd be very happy to select either of those guys at seven, you know, assuming that the medicals check out in Porter, which we don't know yet. Well, and at seven, if you assume that Aiton and Doncic are gone. If both Porter and Trey Young were gone, that means that Bamba, Jaron Jackson, or Marvin Bagley's around. So I mean, you're going to be getting somebody who's who's interesting. And with the Bulls, like we talked about with the Kings, not having a lot that's really set on your roster can be advantageous because then you just take the player you think is best and you work it out from there. And so if they end up with a center, awesome. You know, then then you probably you hope that that player and and Markinen are your front court for the long term. You can devote your resources, whether that be the 22 pick, cap space, future picks, all that kind of stuff, more towards the perimeter. And if it's Trey Young or Porter, then you then you go in other directions. And so I think they're in a really good place for that. It certainly would be better just because having like the fifth pick is better than having the seventh pick because you get more options. I think that they will end up with somebody who is worthwhile. It's just that we don't know who that is at the moment. Man, Trey Young, Lowry Markinen, drag screens and transition could be very, very difficult to guard. Uh, unless you're switching, that could be really tough. Uh, so yeah, I, I mean, I think we haven't fully finalized our boards yet, but you can kind of get a little bit of an idea of, of how I'm beginning to think about things so far. Let's see here. Uh, anyone else that they might go after? Me? Like, let me think about their team needs. They just they desperately need a three, right? I mean, that's really the thing that they just don't have on this team right now. Any kind of like three and D wing. The problem, of course, being that at this point, you know, the the ones that are available that are actually good are older and don't really make sense with the Bulls' timelines, and then the other ones are you know not nearly as good. So I mean, maybe they just hope that Nwaba becomes that guy. Yeah. 
I wouldn't. I, I don't think he's ever going to learn to shoot well enough. You you never know. Sometimes yeah, I guys surprise I think he's you. More of a, but like the fact that he just like won't even take them at this point in his career is not a good. Yeah, and especially if Levine is coming back for Chicago, it is more important to get somebody who is definitely small forward sized, not kind of one of those fringy guys because Levine's already going to have trouble switching if they want to go to that. So I mean, it, it's tough. I don't think they're going to go after Doug McDermott considering everything that happened. Considering they they traded him away, they didn't have to. And yeah, I mean, they could they could be in the mix for all those kind of like James Ennis, Joe Harris types if they want to. My expectation for the Bulls has long been that they will use their space in one big move, you know, like with taking on a bunch of money and then whatever scraps remain, they can go after, do whatever. And that doesn't make sense to use for a small forward this year because almost anybody they would be offering like that 20 type million to would be a pretty significant overpay. Yeah, that seems right to me. If they're not, there's no restricted free agent that I would want to offer that type of a yearly salary to if I'm them. You know, because I think you know, I probably I probably like Markinen. I'm not sure whether I like Gordon, Aaron Gordon, or Markinen better, but you have Markinen at a cheap price, so you probably want to put your resources el- elsewhere. Parker, especially for this team, I don't think it makes that much sense. You mentioned the the issues with his fit with Lean. I do think that with the shooting that Markinen has at the four especially if you draft Trey Young and then you've got Young, Zach Levine, Markinen, those guys are all really good shooters for their positions. So you might be able to get away with, if not Nawaba, you know, a guy like a James Ennis or a Luke Mbamute who really is just much more of a defensive specialist at the three and really just focus in on that just at that one position. Um, Yeah. And it's hard for the Bulls also, because like you could think of them as an interesting kind of bidder for somebody like Montrez Harrell just as a more of a backup fight, but they already have Cristiano Felicio at a bunch of money and you're committing to a player like that or even Julius Randle. Yeah, you know, Randle, Randle to me would be very, very interesting because with Markinen, fantastic fit there offensively. That would be, that combination in the front court would be extremely difficult to stop. Uh, And then Markinen isn't an unbelievable switch guy, but he showed pretty good quick feet. Randle, was a pretty good switch guy. I mean, you're going to have zero rim protection on that team, but hopefully you can deny penetration enough. Uh, and, you know, now if you're trying to switch everything with Trey Young and, and Zach Levine, you know, that doesn't work quite as well. But he, he's someone I really w- would consider. Uh, could this be... Well, yeah. also, a Trey a Trey Young, Julius Randle pick and roll with Markinen on the far side right. would be nasty because if you switch it, then Julius Randle is going to beat the ever-loving crap out of the other guy. And if you try to go under, then Trey Young can shoot. Like, yeah, I think I think that Young would make Randall a much more interesting proposition. And I think that because the Bulls have their own first round picks moving forward, you know, if it doesn't work out, you can just draft another center. Or they could take maybe there's a high upside guy at 22. Like, I, I think that they can, you know, they could kind of throw lottery tickets then at the front court. They don't have to use their main resources on it. What about them as a? They haven't really been talked about this way, but what about them as a Clint Capella destiny? I mean, it's possible. I would actually, and maybe I've talked about the Capella versus. Jokic stuff before but I don't think they're in the right place for Capella right now and and Jokic would just be such a fundamentally transformative piece for them Capella and again his fit with Markkanen would be outstanding that's true yeah if they still have the money left at that point I would I could see that as a worthwhile engagement and and likely it ends up being just more of a troll offer anyway well and especially if they get Michael Porter or somebody like that yeah because and, and remember with the centers if if let's say they don't draft one 
if they don't get a center, they're probably not going to be good next year anyway. They can just either draft or sign one the next year. Like it's a, it's a worthwhile investment for them because it's not just a troll offer sheet. They could actually use them. It could go either way. Either way is palatable for for Chicago. Yeah. Now, of course, if you do get a player like that now, and you've re-signed Levine for twenty million a year, now you're basically down to twenty million in twenty nineteen. Cavs, but you don't even have max room in twenty nineteen. Most likely, Robin Lopez. You yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say the answer there is to just not sign Zach Levine for that much money, but I don't think that's going to happen. Robin Lopez could be a trade candidate here with one year left on his contract, fourteen million. You know, he's he's so reasonably paid. Uh, I think we actually, in a mailbag question, once called him the most reasonably paid guy in the league because he basically was traded for that exact reason in the Derrick Rose trade. Still, though, the center market's so flooded in terms of both free agents. It seems like maybe it's more likely that he gets moved. I don't think that there's a way that you get a first-round pick for him trading him this summer. I'm sure they would love to make that trade if they could. I don't see a team that Well, there is if you take back bad money. Right. Like, that's the way that it could happen, is if if you take somebody who makes, like, $10 million and sucks, then sure, I could maybe see that happening. Well, so for that type of a construction, maybe you could see Lopez making a return to Portland, and they they get back Chicago native Edvin Turner, who actually could probably help this team. He's that sort of non-shooting, decent defensive three that I was talking about, if they have enough shooting at the other positions and then you trade Lopez that helps out the Blazers they're obviously very familiar with his game uh then they don't have to re-sign Yusuf Nurkic if his price tag ends up being too high so that's that actually would be a pretty interesting one um and the, the Blazers would save a bunch of money by not having to pay Nurkic and still having Lopez in the fold for one more year and then hopefully Zach Collins could take over for them that would be a very interesting trade conception there yeah, I'm and, totally and on Blazers, board with that idea. Should Portland go that direction? Yeah, what do the Blazers have? Like number 20 or something this year? They have 24. Yeah, would you do that if you were the Bulls? That's that's tough, though. That I don't know if... I don't think that's enough. That's because Evan Turner, so his remaining money, that's $36.5 million, and 18.6 of that is for next season. For, for Sorry, for 2019-20. So then that's that's a lot to, to give away. Maybe later in the process, if you kind of know, like maybe maybe if it looks like you're going the Levine Randall route, maybe at that point you do it. So it's like, hey, we're not really gonna, we're not gonna have as much space to use anyway. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is a big so like maybe, maybe, maybe make that deal on July 10th or July 14th as opposed to doing it on July 1st. Yeah, yeah. So that that kind of conception, I mean, that that is tough. But that's now the Bulls made that trade with New Orleans, probably never believing that that would end up being as bad of a pick as 22. You know, giving up Miritich taking back Asha right. and, and Turner is even cousins had just gotten hurt yeah and, and Turner is even you know really worse money than Asha although he can at least play I mean that's part of the thought here is like he could at least be like our starting three because we'll just have so much shooting outside of him but I'm uh yeah that that might not be quite enough for my money but you know at some point you have to I mean how you want to use that resource whether it's trying to get guys on good contracts that won't be available in later years because there'll be more cap space around the league whether it's just holding on to it and maybe trying to make a play at the trade deadline to take on bad money when you know it's not as unpalable to do that whether it's just taking on bad money now but yeah to take on one of those pretty toxic you know 16 to 20 million dollar contracts from the summer of 2016 that have two years left on it 
I don't know that a first round pick in the 20s is good enough. And then you're also throwing in Lopez as well, who presumably has some kind of positive value. It may turn out that that is the best they can do with that money. But I think if that's the offer, I probably would just keep the flexibility open still. Uh, or just try to get guys who could be helpful for us uh, going forward on cheap contracts to be a starter. Anything else we got to talk about with these guys? Not really. I mean, technically, Portis, Grant, Payne are all extension eligible, and Robin Lopez is as well, but I wouldn't expect any of those to actually happen. All right, we'll get to Wendell Carter here, but first, this from Sonos. Right now for Father's Day, you can get a 15% discount on Sonos. That's actually better than it's been previously. This They have this Father's Day special right now where you can create a custom Spotify playlist and send it to dad. You select your favorite artist in the year you're born, and then you do the same for your dad, and Spotify will generate a perfect playlist to bridge the generation gap at that fathersday.sonos.com URL to get 15% off when you create your playlist. And why do you want Sonos? Well, first of all, the home theater has been awesome. We've really now, especially with the playoffs being over, have been enjoying a lot of movies, a lot of shows. I'm actually going to watch The Expanse tonight. Looking forward to that after we're done recording. That's one of my favorite shows. That'll be awesome on that new, we got the play bar and their sub set up. And then we also have the Sonos One in a couple of rooms and that you can actually control the music with your voice. The other awesome thing about Sonos is it's super easy for anyone who comes over. If they want to play their music, they can get onto there extremely easily with the Sonos app. We had a friend come over who's an awesome DJ a couple nights ago, and so she just went right into our Sonos and started playing her fantastic selection of music when we were all hanging out together. So it really is a, a fantastic system that is the easiest way to get entertainment at home once again that url fathersday.sonos.com that gets you that 15 percent off code when you create a custom spotify playlist the playlist generator expires june 17th and terms and conditions apply so wendell carter let's just start with his physical profile because he, he seemed when he was going up through the ranks as even a couple years ago as a power forward prospect i've been comparing him to Derek favors since i first saw him a couple of years ago but it really looks like now especially the way the game is going that he's going to be a center in the NBA. Yeah, it does. And so that means you're comparing him differently. There's certain elements of Carter's game that look a lot better when you're comparing him to centers. But the part where I want to start with him, and I think of Carter as just the way we're doing the ordering, not necessarily due to evaluating him as a prospect, as the jumping off point for thinking about centers in a broader way. And so when I was looking at him and watching a little bit, I've started with Jaron Jackson and Mobamba. The idea that when we did the center rankings back in February, we talked about how really there was a group of about 15 centers. And remember that there are guys who we didn't classify as centers who play center for a lot of reasons. Draymond Green is prominent among them, but there are a lot of other guys too, Anthony Davis, numerous others. So what we kind of agreed on at that point, and it was clarifying, was, you know, guys in that top group, you can pay them. They're, yeah, and, and one threshold could be whether they can play in the playoffs. One threat, You could go through a lot of different things. But then every other guy, there are a lot of players who provide value that are useful to have on your team, that are good to have, but that they're... The marginal difference between player 16 and player 36 is just not sufficiently large to make it that way. So one of the ways that I wanted to think about these guys, and Carter is maybe the most interesting for this conversation, is not whether they're going to fit there because nothing is guaranteed, but like, what do we expect? Like, are they going to reach into that group where, okay, this is a guy that four years from now we're going to be comfortable paying or are they going to be more, is it more likely that they're in the inter interchangeable 
section of this conversation yeah and the number one thing you're looking for when about you're talking about one of these guys that you're really going to pay is either number one superstar offensive upside i don't believe that carter has that uh, but number two two-way ability and there are some good reasons to believe that carter will have that i think what i like the most about his offensive game right now is actually the jump shot he's in terms of projecting it to the nba his didn't shoot a lot of threes but certainly shot it well from outside when he did you know you're always wary of these duke guys who shoot really well on 41 attempts but he's over a 40 percent three-point shooter and but he's been shooting it going back to the lower levels as well looks pretty comfortable from outside did have kind of some blips in the tournament where he stopped getting comfortable shooting it had a couple of air balls and then was turning down shots but certainly for a, a center at his age looks very fluid shooting the ball i i project him to get out to being passable from nba3 relatively quickly so that's that's what he's got offensively in the post very skilled although he does have kind of some odd quirks and limitations which we'll get to but as a guy who can get good position he weighs 251 pounds seven four and a half wingspan nine one standing reach even though he's only 610 you know those are totally good numbers for a center and then when you look defensively much better rim protector than you might think just kind of looking at him as like a little bit burlier of a guy he is one of the better bigs that i've seen he was helped in this somewhat by the fact that he's playing a 2-3 zone a lot of the time at duke and kind of standing under the rim already but i thought he did a great job of verticality one of the better young bigs that i've seen with that and he really is a, a quite a quality shot blocker and i also think he has pretty solid help instincts when he's off the ball not quite as good on the ball as they when he's in conventional pick and roll defense but as a help guy i thought he had pretty good rotations and was very aware did, did that strike you as well yeah there were the only thing in his help defense that i didn't love was more on the perimeter with his closeouts but i think that playing the two three actually hurt him there because he was just too far away right. and yeah like he, that, he would know, have to I can crash expect, down can... all the way to like right under the rim because he would play on the you're talking about when he played on the wing on the two three right well it was both ways when he when he was in the center of the two three going out to the perimeter he was often a step slow and guys would just beat him they would catch him he was a little bit jumpy they would catch him with a pump fake or something like that but then when he was on the edge of the two three zone and coming in he was also usually a step late but guess what no nba teams play two three zone so i'm not as concerned about that yeah i mean he was gonna have help responsibility but generally you know if he has to guard a shooting center i don't expect him to be amazing at that necessarily um let's get into his post game a little bit more which is interesting i do not expect him to be a guy who's an every down post score in the nba there are not many of those there are not many centers who can post up other centers at this point i think he will be able to get a deep seal with his size um his skill level I kind of overrated it at first because the first few moves that I saw from him were like these really smooth spins along the baseline. And then I realized as I really got through it, and this is something that he can fix, I'm sure, you know, he has a nice turnaround jumper over his right shoulder, nice spin move over his right shoulder, nice up and under, same side up and under on his right shoulder. And then I, nice, uh, you know, short range lefty hook over his right shoulder. And then I realized that every move that he makes is over his right shoulder. And in fact, I think over 80% of the time would go right shoulder. And, you know, that's just probably like just a tick. I mean, I don't, it doesn't, he's got a good left hand, but I don't really see any reason why he would have to go right shoulder all the time. Usually guys who 
are right-handed prefer to go left shoulder so i think he can develop that okay just for whatever reason he his brain worked that way he wanted to go baseline a lot more and he would overcommit to that baseline a lot when guys played him to go right shoulder he'd kind of try to go to the pump fake get him in the air and then go for the up and under but if you don't get the guy in the air and you go for the up and under you just end up having to throw something up it's kind of a high risk high reward move i i do like the turnaround jumper i think that that's like an important shot for guys to be able to have uh and again the the seals that he would get good position played high low a lot with duke he was playing with bagley i think he played pretty much every moment that he was on the floor as either the four or the five with another traditional big he'd play with bolden a lot too that's when he would be on the wing in the two zone and delorier yeah yeah and something that i really liked about carter like he has all these pieces that are intriguing but i'm not necessarily sure how possession by possession relevant they're going to be it's like he's a nice interior passer he had some plays with Bagley, low, high, high, low, either direction that I thought were good. Also, he made some really nice passes out when he was basically when when he was being when he was posting up. Something I really liked about Carter is that he never got tunnel vision. He would see guys in the corner. He would see guys, you know, kind of at different places. And that's a really good thing. That's relevant. He also like strangely has a decent two dribble pull up. And so just like, OK, the good, good to know nice that you have that in there i don't really know if that's going to be relevant in the nba and so i i always had that kind of thing with him it's like oh this is nice like he, he would pop things for me like i like him better as a trail three guy than a pick and pop guy i just thought the footwork was a little bit better for him and yeah. you know sometimes nba teams even can just lose if he's a straight five they can just lose the center if he's fighting for defensive glass and that's something else we should talk about with him we'll do that in a little bit but I like him better in that capacity. So it's like, okay, that can be useful. It's it's it, it's more of like a one or maybe one and a half possession a game type of thing, but certainly still useful. Yeah, and you mentioned the passing. I think he could be an effective guy in the DHO game uh, with knowing when to hand off. If the guy goes back door, I, I trust that he's going to be able to get there to find him. And, and then also he's got enough game you know, attacking off of one or two dribbles, as you alluded to, where, you know, he can go for the fake DHO and then go to the rim. You know, I think he's not quite this level of shooter, but remember, he's only a freshman. Al Horford came out, I think, as a junior. But that's a guy he's been compared to to some degree. Now, he doesn't quite have that mobility. That's the biggest thing where he's not quite the same as Al Horford. But I do think there's, Al, of course, in the post always has to go left shoulder instead of right shoulder the way Carter is. But I, I do think there's a little bit of a comparison there in, in terms of a not the one crazy out outstanding skill but just solid in a lot of areas you mentioned the role game almost never really got to be used as a role man 20 rolls to the basket or sorry 12 possessions rolling to the basket 12 as a pop man i mean again they just with trey duvall who couldn't shoot threes at all playing with another traditional big all the time there just wasn't the space to run pick and roll they just ran a lot of other stuff and that's why how he had so many post-ups uh and, and was actually relatively inefficient overall in the post um I don't expect him to be an elite role man. If he's out in space, he can get up for an alley-oop. I, I mentioned that I compared him to Favors. He's not quite as explosive as a young Derek Favors, but you know, a, a higher skill level, certainly. He's more like Favors now, actually. Yeah, yeah, that that might be accurate. Um, I think that... I actually thought about that a couple times. Yeah, he did shoot 68% around the basket, and a lot of those were on cuts, on dump-offs. He's not the quickest leaper. When he really loads up, he can get up there. Uh, but like one play that I thought was kind of instructive was, you know, a lot of times the footwork, right? Like you'll see a guy 
who's getting a pass under the rim sort of like take like a little hop as he's catching the ball so he can spring up and carter had a play like that and he really just like he wasn't able to get that quick pop uh when he has the ball on offense to get up and dunk that you know he had to go up for a layup if he really loads up he can go up for a dunk pretty well and I, and also i think just his ability to shoot with his right and left hand will be important for him finishing around the rim again not i don't think he's going to be an elite role man uh, as either a vertical spacer or a guy who can kind of catch and avoid the defense or go up over people you know he's probably going to be a guy at the nba level who's going to be a little more reliant on getting his shoulder into guys to finish and then as a pop guy you know i think he can get there pick and pop eventually whether he can be a pick and pop guy from three i don't know i think it's either way you know he shot it well from the free throw line 74 percent and for a big with his tools at that age you know you have to feel pretty good about it it's, at the very least i think you'll feel comfortable if you need to run a, another set and have you know you have a four like an aaron gordon or something who wants to roll to the rim you can put him in the corner you have something else that you want to do you want to post up a smaller player you can put him in the corner and rely on him to hit that at a minimum whether he goes beyond that with his three-point shooting i'm not sure but i think he has a good chance while we're talking about his offense something else you should mention with carter is his offensive rebounding he had a, a 13 percent about offensive rebound rate and i i'm happy with that but also when you consider that bagley was a very successful offensive rebounder as well and that he was playing with another big all the time i think carter can do that and something i like with carter as well is that he's not the best athlete that we will talk about at the five position but he can get enough that when he goes 100 he can get down the floor well so i could see him being a player sort of like what Steven Adams does where he fights for the fights like he in the game I watched against Texas he made Mo Bamba work a lot on the defensive glass which I really liked and then he can get back enough that you're not really getting exploited now if he is your only like if he's your defensive linchpin there might be some possessions where that trade-off is not worth it but generally speaking I think he'll be able to accomplish the offensive rebound and get back relatively well yeah again I don't think he's a dominating post score but i think he could be effective against smaller players i don't think he's a dominating offensive rebounder but you know 251 pounds i think he could be effective again against smaller players is he going to be an unbelievable three-point shooter i'm not sure but i think he can be passable out there not just like the greatest passer ever but i think he could be solid he plays with a high intelligence level also a high character guy as well i think he plays hard you know i i was impressed with his effort level you mentioned him hitting the offensive glass and then the ability to sprint back you know i was i was really impressed with times when he would go for the offensive board not get it and then really just like bust his ass to get back he's playing a lot of minutes too uh, so i thought that his effort level was solid let's talk about his defense now what do you got there a couple of different overarching things with with carter one i don't love his feet you know, like there were times, especially you saw that a little bit as a switch defender, but then there were other times where he's kind of helping recover, or there was a play in the Texas game where uh, Andrew Jones was driving and it was more of a sliding, sliding contest. And he just didn't really have it exactly right. He's not bad. Like, certainly this isn't a guy who's like broken in that way, but it was something. And I think he can get better. He talked about how like it looks like on the court, like he's working hard. So maybe with good coaching, he can get there. But the biggest thing that I found interesting with him, and I want to see if you, because we don't talk about these, if you saw the same thing, was when I watched a lot of Carter in sequence, it looked to me like he was doing more reading than anticipating what the offensive team was doing, but that he was reading pretty quickly so that it worked in college. And I'm thinking that he will eventually be able to anticipate and just getting into scouting reports and, you know, coach the coaching is very different in the NBA level. But 
if he can't transition from reading to anticipating the athleticism jump and the just massive in- increase in skill from the from the college level to the NBA level, that could be a problem. So I think he'll work, but I'm not 100% sure of it. Yeah, I thought that his help instincts were solid for, especially for a freshman big man. Uh, I thought there are plays when, you know, if he was off the ball and reacting to a drive, I thought he did well to move early get over there there are a lot of plays where you know even just showing your body early you can cause the guy to slow down a little bit and then allow your defender your perimeter defender to get back in front and contest and then he can go and and get a box out i I don't think on the defensive glass he's not a dominating out of area defensive rebounder but i think you know his defensive rebound rate was fine he was also playing next to bagley who chewed up a lot of those defensive rebounds as well and i think you know he could be a solid box out guy who will rebound reasonably well in his area so again you know not a unbelievable defensive rebounder but i think a solid one and one who can do a good job keeping other offensive rebounders off the glass so that the rest of the guys on the team can go get those boards you mentioned is i don't really see him as much of a switch guy they would switch to some degree he gave up 19 points on 23 possessions in isolation he had a couple of bad games pretty early in the season it looked like it got better but again only 23 possessions and then we saw far fewer of those of course once they started playing a lot more zone late in the season and he was playing more as the center in that zone a lot of the time but i thought he showed a few times where he was able to show quicker feet than expected and move his feet and get in front of a guy and cut him off but then wasn't able as we talked about with a lot of these guys wasn't able to transition into getting the contest very well and then other times he would just get totally blown by and he doesn't really have the quickness the leaping ability or i mean he has good length but not just like the quick twitch to really bother a guy from behind once he's beaten once he's beaten he's beaten he's giving up the lap he's not really able to contest at that point if he can't actually keep the guy in front of him so that's you know i I don't expect him to be an asset as a switch defender and then in pick and roll i think he can get better than he has been just to take a little bit better of angles you know if he's dropped way back at the rim i think he could also be useful as a guy who just gets over and contests with verticality as opposed it's when he's kind of out at the free throw line where he's not really way out on the floor you know they asked him to hedge a lot and then he would sprint back i thought that looked fine uh but when he's kind of in a semi drop coverage and the guy can get a a head of steam and just go right around with the free throw line i thought that's where he struggled the most so i I don't i'm not sure whether he's going to be i think he's got hope especially because of his intelligence and and his instincts to really become a a better pick and roll defender and take better angles but he's certainly not there at, at this point in time Yeah, and so I want to just kind of see with a a different, not only defensive scheme, but different defensive personnel, how it could work with Carter. And also we're seeing players with his kind of weaknesses defensively, you know, getting attacked a little bit at the highest levels. But again, most teams aren't at the highest level. You know, we're dealing with a league where maybe there are 10 teams that really need to be concerning themselves with that, that have a high enough ceiling. And those teams change over time. So you could say if you draft him now, then maybe you'll be that team in four years. But yeah, it's interesting. And also something he did a couple of times that I really like from Carter it's as a kind of a, a next level thing is that he would tip a defensive rebound into open space where a teammate could get it. And something I, I thought about this a little bit and then I looked it up and was intrigued that I was right was that Carter measured with very small hands for a center at the combine. His hands were actually smaller than Trevon Duval, Gary Trent Jr., and Shea Gilgis Alexander. Those guys do have a little bit of bigger hands for their position. But there are certain elements of that, as long as he's a good rebounder, fights for positioning, that aren't necessarily a downside. There's been this theory out there that part of the reason big guys struggle shooting free throws is because Yeah, I think that theory is they, bullshit. I think that theory is bullshit too. But 
I don't know. There's 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 just kind of something about him where I'm just sitting there going like, I like everything, but I don't love anything. And I don't know why the hand thing kind of stuck out to me is a little bit. Of that. Also, we should mention 74% shooting from the free yeah. throw line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That bodes well for, for his shooting. And so some of the other top line numbers, because I just want to make sure we go through those right. while we have them. 73, or, uh, sorry, 63% true shooting, 23% usage, 7.6 block rate. And I mentioned the 13 offensive rebound, 23 defensive rebound, which when you consider the surrounding talent, I'm happy with that. I don't love it, but I'm happy with it. So I my I don't know if there's any more kind of the nuts and bolts, but I'll, I'll get into some of them because we can use it to talk about this. I like Wendell Carter a lot, but I have this idea of him with the kind of overall overall production versus value concept of this where he might be a i haven't watched them yet he might be a better player than the the bridges mikhail bridges and miles bridges but the odds that even if he there's a very significant chance to me that he is a better player than them but less valuable right. than those guys just because of positional scarcity yeah and we'll see whether i mean i haven't watched a single minute of either of those guys yet and we may not have a chance to do much of it before the draft but uh i agree with you there you know now identifying whether those guys or Kevin Knox or whatever are going to be better than Carter. Tough to say. I wanted to talk also about his ability to protect the rim. I mentioned the verticality, but he also blocks a lot of shots. He had a 7.5% two-point block rate and really good timing. His post defense, I thought, was pretty impressive. He only gave up 22 points on 54 possessions when he's being posted up. I mean, that's just an incredible number. And he really, he had this ability... I think partially because he just has such a big body, but also he just has really quick timing with his hands. And he would like either almost block or like get very close to blocking and throw off guys, even just shooting jump hooks. And like, he just got a lot of blocks, just one-on-one defending in the post, which, you know, for, again, it's like, you want to think that he's kind of this big body, ground bound, you know, Alan Williams type of guy. Uh, But he really is, shows flashes of athleticism beyond that. And same thing with blocking shots. He just, he doesn't get off the ground that high on defense, but he gets off the ground really quickly. And so I think that can kind of surprise guys and his timing is really outstanding. So it's, I agree with you, you know, it's tough for me. I always like to go with the guys in the top 10 that I believe to have superstar upside. It's hard to find that with Carter. I mean, he does have a really nice skill level in the post and perhaps he could just become such a good post scorer, but he's a little bit undersized as far as being a dominating post scorer that I don't think he can quite get there if you're just going to throw the ball to him in the post. And then, you know, it's got to, it would, he would have to be a player along the lines again of an Al Horford type, just to do everything, but he just can't quite do enough defensively with me in terms of his ability to move his feet. If he could just do that a little bit more, then I would be like really high on him, I think, in terms of his versatility. But because I don't think he quite has the defensive versatility that is needed to be an elite defensive center in today's game, you know, I can't quite be as high on him as I, I wanted to really be a little bit higher on him. But just in terms of not having that one skill, but also just having a just a couple of weaknesses that just don't, you know, whether it's getting up for alley-oops as a role man on offense whether it's moving his feet defensively, I can't quite get around the idea that this is a guy who has star upside. Even if you're talking about a star as like, you know, more of a do everything Al Horford type than, you know, this 28% usage, like scoring superstar type of guy. And it, it just kind of, it, it sucks in a sense because he does so much that I like that it, it the yeah. threshold for me, I really like moving, not into the lot. star category. I really like his game. Yeah, I do too. Like, and, and he doesn't have to be a star to be really valuable. 
there there are there's a, a kind of that 10 to 15 range we talked about with centers that you know they can provide a lot i think andre drummond might end up in that in that area as well so i don't think the pistons are sad that they took andre drummond at all not not in the slightest i mean maybe compared to what he was that rookie season you know with the way drummond drummond worked out and i'm not comparing these two guys at all because they're very different types of centers but yeah it, it's it's hard with with carter because there is that there that's a like and it, it's again also the weirdness of this draft class that there are things that are more valuable but those players just don't exist that we've seen so far so that's a little bit of a challenge so i also would be very interested and you know stuff like we had that in terms of what the duke coaching staff said about his work ethic and like working on his skill development because you could see a lot of that but maybe like and i think like, oh there's there's lots of like maybe if we could you know get a, a more reliable footwork on a pick and pop three or you know one of those elements but at the same point what's holding him back from that real high upside is not his skill level because his skill level is better than damn near any guy I've seen his age, you know, at his position. Yeah, no, it's a, especially when you consider his ability to shoot it. And I just, he seems like a good kid. He seems like a smart player. One of the criticisms is that he's almost like kind of too smart and too cerebral at times. Uh, but for, yeah. Oh, actually, there's one other thing I wanted to talk about. So you mentioned it before, but I think we need to put a finer point on it. He does so much of the, I talked about this with Aiton and in the opposite context. And I enjoyed just kind of thinking about those two guys together that Carter is so much more consistent at doing the like kind of little movements and battles that are a part of the center position and I think that he will be one of those players that other centers don't like playing against which is a a good compliment for him but I don't know that he's going like especially on the you know on, on the glass where it's just be like he's just getting in there he's not the best screen setter but he's better than a lot of these other guys because he actually cares which is a, a pretty big differentiator between him and like Bagley let's say as a screener so you kind of sit there and go, okay, well, that's that's a good thing to have. This is all we're all we're all happy with this, and and so so you sit there, like I could totally see him succeeding. Like it, it, it's so weird to be low on somebody who I like this much. Yeah, but that is the nature of the center position at this time, and that's why I thought the way you wanted to bring this in, and he may end up being a guy who gets paid. You know, you could see him maybe being the tenth best center in the NBA if things work out for him. Or maybe, you know, maybe there's some possibility he could improve his lateral mobility. He doesn't look heavy or anything. So I'm not, you know, he's already listed, although these body fat measurements are very suspect uh, in terms of the range of error for any particular measurement. But at the combine, 7.5% body fat, that's like totally good for 250 pound guy who's 6'10". But I, I think that's just the nature of the center position ultimately. And I think he can be a solid starter, but that's just, you know, and also I think the other part of it to me too is I'm starting to like this draft more and more the more we go through it. And, you know, if you were to compare him to say like Zach Collins last year, I'm like, oh man, I'd much rather have Wendell Carter than Zach Collins, you know, at, at this point. And he went number 10 last year, though he was kind of out of the top tier of guys. I will say this though, I, I don't think I haven't finished the, the whole board yet. We'll talk about that once we're done with the, as many of these as we're going to do. But to me, have it, he's projected to go number six right now, Trey Young seven, Michael Porter eight. Him being above either of those guys, unless Porter's body is just, it's determined that his body is just broken. That just makes no sense. Like, I, I think those guys have just so much more upside than Carter. Like, there's, it, it would not make sense to me to take Carter above them. We are in agreement there. And yeah, I mean, it, it it's such a different class. But yeah, I like a lot of these guys too. And I've seen, you know, some of them by watching. I, I enjoyed that Carter played against both Bamba and Jaron Jackson. And I kind of got a sense of, of, of kind of how that how that's all going to work. And yeah, I, I like him a lot. And 
Yeah, but you, you compare this to last year's class. I mean, I oh, oh, so actually this was something I wanted to, I thought would be a good little exercise for us to do. We were talking about centers. So here are some guys kind of in that range. Some these some of these guys are going to be above the that kind of 15 threshold and some guys are probably going to be a little bit below, but I thought this would be a good kind of thought exercise. So, like I wouldn't expect in terms of overall impact for Carter to be better than Clint Capella, would you? Yeah, Capella's story remains to be written here. But sure. no, I mean, it, the the way that he was like outplaying like Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns, not that he's necessarily better than those guys. Yeah, I, I, no, I don't see how Carter could get to that type of, I, I mean, I, again, what unless about, he just gets so much better moving his feet. What about Miles Turner? Uh, Yeah, it, it really depends how you value Turner's defense. You know, I, I think Turner is probably going to be a better shooter ultimately than Carter, but you know carter probably had a better shooting season than turner did as a freshman but turner i think just especially with that high and quick release so you know maybe he could be in that range possibly and then the last one i want to mention this is going to be an example of why giving centers long-term money is a challenge valanchunas another guy who's probably close to properly paid i think i'm right now like i I, that i would expect that i will like carter better four years from now than i will like than i like valanchunas right now yeah that that makes sense so i mean just for, for perspective this was i think my personal rankings here and and we did this back in the middle of the season so i'd probably changed at this point but i had these are my tier four centers stephen adams deandre jordan clint capella marcus Hull were eight through 11 for me in the league and i don't see carter quite getting into that range i could see him being right below there where we had hassan whiteside who would be lower now obviously Derek favors Pau gasol miles turner that was like 12 through 15 that's kind of the range i see him falling into if things go about how we would expect them to for him and that's that's a valuable player you know that's when you're in the lower end of the top 10 getting a guy like that who's a solid starter you know you got to feel pretty good about that it's just a question of there's some guys who really have some upside in this draft and i think you know you taking him over them would not be something that i would want to also worth noting that you i think that range of player is about right that there are by where i think we're going to end up with him there are three centers above him in this class so you think about how that could age out too that maybe those lines get a little bit those tiers get a little bit thicker and i also have a prediction for you that he will be better than at least one of those guys oh absolutely i wouldn't be surprised by that at all kind of flame out sure absolutely fair all right that's enough for today thanks so much for listening we'll be back tomorrow to wrap up the week i want to thank sonos for sponsoring today's program with father's day coming up sonos and spotify have got you covered go to fathersday.sonos.com to get a code for 15 percent off when you create a custom spotify playlist to send to your dad simply select your favorite artist and the year you were born then do the same for your dad spotify will then generate the perfect playlist to bridge the generation gap go to fathersday.sonos.com you can get that massive 15 percent off it's one of the best deals that they've had in quite some time fathersday.sonos.com playlist generator expires june 17th terms and conditions apply